Our scripture lesson today comes to the early church, the church in Philippi, uh, from Paul, uh, teaching them of what it is to live in a very divided political and religious culture. So let's share these good words of knowledge together. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Instead of mailing everyone my vacation photos, I'm saving a ton of time by posting them to my wall. Ooh, I like that one. It's so quick. It's just like my car insurance. I saved 15% in just 15 minutes. I saved more than that in half the time. I unfriend you. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> I unfriend you. I unfriend you. That's not how this is supposed to work. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. Hey, maybe this has happened to you that you've simply had a disagreement with somebody else. You didn't agree with what they said. Next thing you know, you're not their friend. You've been unfriended. It happens in the world, doesn't it? This is the world that we've, we've come to. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take them out. We are looking at difficult people. Will you say that with me? Difficult people. One of the things that we have to be really careful of is asking the question, am I difficult people? Is that me? Am I, am I a part of that? Am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? And hopefully by the end of this series, we'll be a part of the solution. Um, this series was inspired partly uh, by this book, Mastering Civility, uh, by Christine Parath. Andy and I have been reading through it, and, and one of the chapters is on what she calls e-civility. Um, and what you may find, if you have your sermon notes, is that as we go through this, in her research, she found that 95% of people agree that we have a civility problem. That's a big number. When you do research, very rarely do you ever get anything in the 90s, much less 95%. A lot of research is like 55 this to 45, 52, 49, that sort of thing. No, no, no. 95% agree that we have a civility problem. Do you agree with that? Basic things like thank you and please and RSVPs and thank you notes and just basic civility in the workplace and in our schools and on the football field, uh, soccer fields and baseball fields, all these sorts of things around Edmond. Folks have come to believe pretty much across the board that we do have a problem. So one of the questions is, what do we do about it? Then she goes on to say that we've known for a few years now that 70% of Americans believe that the Internet encouraged and still encourages uncivil behavior. Would you agree with that? That, that you see things online that you might never see or hear with the person standing right across from you. That you're like, wow, that, I didn't see that coming. That's not normally like them. I wonder what that's about. Am I the only one that's ever sort of seen that as you're going through online? No, I don't think so. Um, then I came across something else in, in a different area of research. In 2004, so this is a while, researchers found what they call an online disinhibition effect. Where people are actually, they, they self-declose more, right? If they're blogging, they're willing to say things that they would never say uh, in a group this size in person, and they have decreased inhibitions. Um, they'll tweet or post or repost things, and, and, and maybe you've seen this. The, the comment that I would like to share uh, really hundreds of times a day um, is this. You know this is public, right? And that's just what I want to say over and over again. I'll, I'll, I'll read something, and I'm like, this is public. I mean, things, things that you would never, ever, ever think about saying in front of 300, 400 people, because many people have three or 400 friends on Facebook or others, you would never line them up. Like, you, would be a, you wouldn't say anything. 
probably, with, with those people standing around you. Maybe we need to make the wall like the old lady, right? Uh, and, just, and just think, well, would I say that if I was actually in front of my mother and father and sisters and cousins and uncles and pastor? Because I'm like, we're, we're friends. Your pastor's online. I'm, I'm right here, right? Y'all forget that I'm your friend on Facebook, don't you? <laughs> and remember, Pastor Mark's going to read this, right? And, 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 and here's the thing. Once you know, I will never correct you online because you'll hate that and then you'll just leave. You'll unfriend me. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't need correcting, right? Just because I don't correct things online that should never come out of a faith community doesn't mean that, it, that we ought not really take a look at it, a, r- a real look at it. Um, and know that, that we do this out of love because the world needs transforming and we're the people who will do it. It's about our character. So, uh, maybe you have, I have. Have you ever read online a post or repost or meme of a friend and thought, wow, that just doesn't sound like them? Have you ever done that? And there are people that, that I think really highly of, and then uh, this thing will come through my feed, and I'll like, wow, that's weird. Like, who would put, po- oh, huh. Now, to be fair, that's normally not original content. Normally, it's a repost that I see. And I think, huh. I had no idea this person was so angry. I had no idea that they could really give it out like that. That's, that's kind of scary. I mean, no, rarely do I go, wow, good for you. Go get him, tiger. Right? Now, that's not my first sort of uh, inclination. I'm just saying, huh, that, that's interesting. And I want to share this because it really makes a difference. It makes a difference. Some of you actually may know Neil Patterson. Uh, he's an Oklahoma guy. Uh, I'm told one of the people in the, in the last service said, you know, he went to Oklahoma State, right? And I was like, no, I had no idea. Um, but in one day, Neil Patterson lost $28 million. That's a lot of money. But I, w- I want to share with you what he did, because Neil's not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy at all. Uh, he's a guy that many have wanted to emulate. But I want you to see how he got caught up in something I think any of us could get caught up in. Not everybody here is um, online, like for Facebook and Instagram, but most of us use email. Um, I suppose there might be a few people that don't use email in here, but I, I bet it's pretty rare, right? So... If you're a manager, you've had the same temptation that Neil had. He went to visit his Kansas City-based operation for Cerner Corporation. And he was tired. And he was working hard. And he built an amazing company. It's an amazing company worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And when he got there, he didn't like what he saw. They were struggling in that season. And he just let them know it. So this is an actual email. These are just excerpts of it. At 7.45 in the morning, he starts this email. We are getting less than 40 hours of work from a large number of our Kansas City-based employees. Employees, right? Don't do that. Don't capitalize the words. The parking lot is sparsely used at 8 a.m., likewise at 5 p.m. As managers, you either don't know what your employees are doing or you do not, say it with me, care. You have created expectations of the work effort which allowed this to happen inside Cerner, creating a very unhealthy environment. In either case, you have a problem and you will fix it or I will replace you. It continues. Hell will freeze over, he says, before the CEO implements another employee benefit in this culture. I am tabling the promotions until I am convinced that the ones being promoted are the solution, not the problem. If you are the problem, pack your bags. I'm giving you two weeks to fix this. The parking lot should be substantially full at 7.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. I love this next part. The pizza man should show up at 7.30 p.m. to feed the starving teams working late. You have two weeks. Tick. And what were the results? People said, you know, we have been loafing. Let's get on it. <laughs> no. 
they leaked the entire thing to the Yahoo discussion group. And then the Wall Street Journal, then the Financial Times, the New York Times, Forbes, and Fortune. They all ran stories on it. Now, this is a nice guy. He's got a great smile, nice tie. He's a nice guy. However, even though he's a nice guy, he means, well, he's trying to do the right thing, doing what he's been hired to do by Cerner. Within three days, friends, Cerner's stock tumbled 22%, a loss of roughly $300 million. $100 million a day. Three days. Some people say that's real money. Patterson's personal wealth plummeted $28 million over an untimed, ill-advised email. One morning, because he's tired. Now, if we're going to be honest, any of us who are managers have wanted to send that email. When you feel like you've done more, you've put in more, other people aren't thankful, they're not grateful, you're working hard, you're tired, you're out of town, you're visiting this group, oh my gosh, well these people, oh, and you don't know the kind of pressures folks feel, but did it work? No. It was brutal. It was brutal. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, well, okay, okay, well, what, what do you do with that? Most of us are not in that position. What does the Bible say? Uh, about our language, about our communication with other people. And, and you say, well, it doesn't say anything about the Internet. The Internet wasn't here. Well, of course, I get that. But human nature hadn't changed much. The way people are, pretty constant over thousands of years. And so Paul is writing into a time which is, I would submit is significantly more difficult than it is today. I'm not trying to, to whitewash or, or make easy the very real difficulties and religious and political differences of our day. They're real. I understand them. However, it's not Rome. We're not occupied. Um, no matter where Paul went, whether it's Philippi, Galatia, Ephesus, Thessalonica, these were folks who just a few years ago were Jewish. And now there's a whole other group that says God has come in himself in the person of Jesus and we're following him. How much of this Judaism do we need to hold on to? How much can we let go? Uh, is, is Rome right? Are the Jews right? Are the Arabs right? Are the Christians right? What's going on? And it was ripping families apart that had just a few years ago all been in sync. And Paul's writing to this very, very difficult time. And so the scripture that we read a moment ago, uh, I want to read it to you in a different translation, says it like this. Summing it up all, friends. If, if, if you say you'll do the best by filling your minds and meditating on things, same with me, that are true and noble, right? Reputable, authentic, compelling, and, say it with me, gracious. The best, not the worst. The, say it with me, beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Okay? This is what Paul says to do in this sort of environment. Because there's plenty of things to curse. There's plenty of things that are ugly out there. But that's not where we're going to place our mind. We're going to place our mind on the things that God says are beautiful and the best. So we're going to fill our minds with things that are, again, same with me, true, noble, gracious. Now, that's a good way to live your life. Before you say something, before you write something, before you send something, ask yourself these three questions. First of all, is it true? Now, what's interesting here is some of the ugliest, nastiest, most bitter things I've ever heard in my life would, would be said. And I would look, or you have looked at them and go, Wow, did you just say that? And the next line, you have heard or you have used yourself because it goes like this. Well, it's true, haven't you? Well, it's true. But friends, that's not the only litmus test. It's not, is it true? Is it noble? Is it worth saying? Is it gracious? Is it helpful? And if it's not true, noble, and gracious, don't say it. Don't write it. 
Don't post it. That's God's wisdom for your good. Not just for others, but for your own good. You learn the lessons that others have learned the hard way. So, how do we do this? We fill our Facebook or Insta account with the, same with me, best and beautiful. There's something really awesome about the best. I love the Olympics. Uh, I love when they come around because the best people in all the world come around to do what they do. There's something amazingly beautiful about a ski jumper just flying through the air. Or, or an ice skater doing a you know, triple toe loop. Uh, or a, a, a speed skater, or a luge guy, or a bobsled team. I mean, these are really cool, wonderful things if they're done with excellence and at the best. It's really wonderful. And there are so many beautiful things in the world that we can share. There's plenty of ugly things, but we don't have to place our mind there because then that just fills the world with more ugliness. We don't have to participate in that. So our communication in all things, friends, in all things, whether it's online, offline, in person, otherwise, is to what? praise and not to curse okay now especially with our children we are to praise them now notice that i'm not saying um, that we're not to correct them of course we're to correct them we're to discipline them we're to teach them but we don't curse them we don't curse them friends what what the lord has said is of all the creation human beings are the height of that creation something that we're to bless and to praise and to lift up and to encourage and to train and to teach not to curse and Paul speaks into this deeply divided religious and political world no matter where he went. Rome, Ephesus, Thessalonica, uh, all places of Macedonia. And as he did this, he would do this. He would preach Jesus Christ with a call to civility and, say it with me, unity, which was not easy to come by because they were not unified on all sorts of matters. Yet Paul continued to call for civility and unity. Again, very salient for the church today. So when Paul goes to Galatia, he, he says this. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through, say it with me, love become slaves to one another. That's strong language, friends. Slaves? Yes, that's what he means, slaves. That we are to serve others because Jesus, our master and Lord, on the very last night of his life, he sits down at the table and he washes feet. He takes the form of a servant or a slave and he washes feet. And he says to those who would follow him then and now, you say that I'm master, Lord, and teacher, and you are right. And so if I, your master, teacher, and Lord, wash feet, you also ought to do what? Wash feet. This is life of humility. This humility, this setting our ego aside, this setting our pride aside is not what gets us in trouble. The life of Jesus doesn't get us in trouble. It is something that transforms the world. Paul goes on to say the whole law summed up in what Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know it as the golden rule. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another because as soon as you don't pick up the towel, as soon as you kick aside the basin, then the quarreling starts. And that's what was happening at the table. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let me show you again. Let me show you again. You pick up the towel, you pick up the basin, and you serve those around you. Now, when he rolls over to Ephesus, same problems. Different day, different town, same problems. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, he's now saying that he is in prison, right? He begs you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all, say it with me, humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's where the church is to live. That's where the church is its strongest, serving and humble service in unity, in the spirit of peace. And then, earlier in Philippians, before he got to what we read earlier, he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition, not anything, or conceit, but in, there's that word again, say it with me, humility, 
regard others as better than yourselves. Now, may, maybe you have, but I, I haven't ever heard of it. Have you all gotten in trouble around your house when you said, you know, the dog is filthy, uh, the floors are gross, and the trash is overflowing? Would, would anybody here mind if I washed the dog and cleaned the floor and took out the trash? Any problem with that? I mean, I've never heard a problem with that. People are like, no, go right ahead. That's awesome. Thank you. Right? This humility, this service piece, it transforms our homes, our work, our life, our world. So Paul says, this is how we're to live. This is how Jesus lived. This is how we are to live. He's like, okay, sure. Well, but how am I doing? How, how do we do this? So uh, in the book, there's lots and lots of self-assessments, but I just picked three that we could do very, very quickly here. Ask yourself this question. Do I use a text or email when face-to-face communication is needed? Most people do or have at some point because we don't want something bad to happen. We don't want to say what we have to say to someone. And so rather than sort of, you know, putting our big people pants on and going and having a conversation, we send a text. No, I can't make it. Or we shoot an email. Sorry about that. When really face-to-face is what's needed. And it's breaking down the civility of our lives. It's breaking down our relationships. And we're hiding behind our devices when we do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a common temptation. You're, you're not alone in that. Uh, do you use a text or email when face-to-face is really needed? Um, it, the thing is, we forget. While it's uncomfortable for us, we have no idea how hurtful it may be to the person on the other end. And we really need to take them into uh, consideration. I want you to consider this real email. This is true. How would you feel if you received this email? The workforce reduction notification is currently in progress. Unfortunately, your position is one that's been eliminated. That's how 400 Radio Shack employees found out they had lost their jobs. Can you imagine? You go to work every day for 10 years, 20 years, and you get that in your inbox. That's it. Everybody you worked with, everybody you looked up to, all all your friends and family that were part of that deal, that's how you find out you lost your job. Right? It's important how we communicate, because 95% of our communication is body language. It's important, particularly when we have the hard conversation, that we're with people, that we can share our empathy and love and care for them. Now, this, the next one is probably more common. Uh, I've been guilty of it myself. Do I email or text during meetings? Friends, I don't know if anyone's shared this with you. That's rude. It's saying that whatever you have on your mind is more important than everybody else. By the way, most meetings you're in are costing whatever group you're part of hundreds if not thousands of dollars. Everybody's getting paid to be at that meeting. You're supposed to be there engaged. Now, you may say, no, no, no. When I email, when I text, you know, I'm getting the research for the next good comment in the meeting. You know, I'm I'm adding value by being on my phone in the meeting. Really? Or did you just want to know what the top 25 football deal is? You know, most of the time I'm looking over on somebody's phone, it's, you know, it's sports, it's Facebook, it's scrolling. Now, you may have a very good reason to do it, but we all do in our own mind. This, this is how you get around it. It's real simple. Ask the person leading the meeting, whoever that is, hey, uh, would you like for me to email the person that we're talking about here uh, to get their response before the meeting's over and share it with you? Is that, would you like me to do that or would you like for me to keep my phone away so I can be engaged? Your call. Happy to do it. It's your meeting. See the difference? I know y'all are hating me right now. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then thirdly, right, am I respectful when disagreeing? It's okay to disagree. We're going to disagree. We're not all supposed to be the same. But are we disagreeable when we disagree? Can we disagree in love and still maintain warm, close relationships? 
Friends, church is supposed to teach us how to do that. If we can't do it here, uh, we're not going to be able to do it other places. Because we need a spirit above us. We need love above us. We need a power greater than ourselves to keep ourselves going with other folks. And then finally, friends, it all kind of boils down to this. And you can tweet this out if you want. It might help you or somebody else. When it comes to an email or online post, if in doubt, don't. I mean, really, just, just don't. Uh, and I can share uh, from my own personal experience. Um, it was about 12, ago, 12 years ago now. I sent an email late at night. I was tired. I was cranky. Uh, and it took me about a year to win back that relationship. An, in, an entire year. Uh, and, and the only reason I was able to was because the other person was gracious. One, because of anything I did. And, and so learn from my pain. Redeem that pain. There's no sense in us losing good, wonderful, healthy, strong relationships uh, over us just being silly. Because what we can do in the darkness of our living room um, to send an email when we're upset about something, uh, we just don't have the entire community standing in front of us. And if we did, we would never say the things that we say online uh, when we're isolated and alone. Right? But even with all of that, I bet you're doing better than this guy. I'm here to apply for a Twitter. So I can just post anything at any time, whatever I want. Perfect. Now, if I see something I don't agree with, obviously I just scroll past it, right? Oh, no, com comment on everything? Okay, comment on everything. Got it. What if it's a topic that I'm kind of like uneducated on? Still comment? Okay, you still want me to comment. Okay, what if it's an issue I literally didn't even know existed yesterday? Just scroll past. Still comment. Okay, what about like celebrities and public figures? Do we just assume that they don't have feelings and just tweet them mean, hurtful things? Yeah, we do. You're probably, you're probably doing better than him. So just on real basic stuff, right? When not to send that email or that post, okay? First of all, when the email will deliver bad news. Do it in person. Let's do it in person. Now, when you feel your stress rising. Now, friends, you understand this. When you're stressed, blood flows out of your head. It makes you stupid, right? Blood's going to your major muscle groups, your legs and your arms, so you can run away or punch somebody. That's what happens when you're stressed. So you can't even think straight, so don't do that, Right? Thirdly, when you know the other party is stressed, you may have the most beautiful, well-timed, excellent email you have ever crafted in your life, and the world must see it. But if the person on the other end, you know, has the flu, don't send it. If they just lost their job, or they're going through a divorce, or they're having a hard time, are you kidding me? They can't do anything with it, even if it's a wonderful, crafted email. No, just don't do it. Fourthly, you feel slighted. This happens, and the other person won't know you feel slighted, but you do. And, and so you don't respond out of, out of that emotion. Um, here's something you, we need to understand. You can't resolve a disagreement online. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, seriously. Have, have you, this has never happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. If, if it has, I want, to, I want to learn from you. But I have yet to find where there's like a controversy going online, and I go, well, I think this, and everybody else goes, wow, Pastor Mark, I didn't ever see it that way. Thank you so much. And it's all agreed upon. Have you ever seen that? Has that ever happened to you? Don't lie. That hasn't happened to you. It doesn't happen. You can't resolve disagreements online. That's something you do in person with people that you love, the people you care about, people you invest in. You can't do it when you feel angry, of course. It just doesn't work um, because you're not thinking straight. And you have to think of this. Even if it's true, Will the post evoke a positive or negative response? And if you know you're just goading somebody, don't do that. That's just mean. There's no reason to do that. There's no reason to upset people just for fun. 
And then the final one that Parath writes that I, I didn't really understand, but as I thought about it, it grew on me. And, and it, I found it to be absolutely true in my own life. And that is, she says, when you feel the urge to add. You, see, you get an email and you think, oh yeah, and another thing, and another thing, and one of those. And have you thought about this? And one, Whenever you get in that space, that is a bad time to email or post when you want to add to the conversation in that way. So what do we do about it? What in the world can we do about this stuff? So our action steps for this week is, first of all, think of this. Send an email of encouragement. I mean, you probably have somebody in your life that maybe you haven't talked to in a year or two or three or five. Just send them an email. Say, hey, I was thinking of you. You know, you've really blessed me and my family. You're such a good brother or uncle or friend or best friend. Or, you know, in college, you really made a difference in my life in this way. I just wanted to reach out and say thank you. You don't have to tell them you learned it in church or your pastor asked you to. Just, just sit. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? What if, what if you got an email of encouragement this week? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, of so many emails we get, wouldn't it be nice if you had one that was encouraging? That'd be great. You could do that. We could do that. Um, secondly, then, let's refuse an invitation to an online argument. Did you know you can do that? When somebody says something really stupid online, you can just keep on going. You don't have to stop and, and lose your afternoon there or evening or day or life. Right? You don't, you don't have to accept every invitation to an argument that you get. You can just be like, no, I'm not spending my time that way. Now, Paul uh, was trying to instruct Timothy on this very issue. He's like, well, what do I do about this? Paul says it really clearly. Have nothing to do with stupid and senseless controversies. Key words are stupid and senseless, right? You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to who? Everyone. An apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness, right? Gentleness, kindness. Now, this is a great scripture that we can take to heart. There's only one problem with it. You know what that is? One person's stupid and senseless controversy is another person's core belief. So who chooses? And it's been splitting the church apart for more than 2,000 years. We have more than 40,000 denominations, friends. Shouldn't be that way. Christ and Paul call for unity. We keep tearing each other up over things that are stupid and senseless. But who decides? Right? Because I ask the people on this side of the room, hey, what's stupid and senseless? And then I ask the people on this side of the room, and they think, oh, no, that's really important. I ask the people in the middle, and they're like, we don't know. Right? So almost 20 years ago now, Bill Heibel said something that has changed my ministry and changed my life, and it's changed it for the better. Uh, and it's where I live, it's where I intend to live, and it's the way I intend to lead the church as long as I'm here, uh, which I hope is for a long, long time. He said this. He said, if Jesus said to do it, we're going to do our best to do it. And if Jesus said not to do it, we're going to do our very best not to do it. And if Jesus remains silent about it, we will remain silent about it too. Make sense? Makes sense. Because otherwise, we're guessing at what the master of the universe was saying. And we'll get it wrong. So... This is what he said when he was leading the largest church in North America. They had about 39,000 people coming. And, and friends, they were taking it from all sides. The liberals were beating on them. The conservatives were beating on them. People in the church, outside the church were beating on them. Like, you know, hey, you can't be following Jesus. You're too big. You got 39,000 people. You must be doing something wrong. And he says, look, okay, you know who decides? Jesus. If we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, then Jesus decides. And so whatever he says to do, we're going to do. And where he says don't do, we're going to do our best not to do it. And if he didn't talk about it, we're going to let it alone. And that's where we're going to be as a church. Because here's, here's the thing. 
You know why I think people talk so much about the stuff Jesus didn't talk about? Because not willing to do the stuff he said to do. And they're sure not willing to not do the stuff he said not to do. In my own personal life, I got plenty to do on the do list and the do not list. Am I alone in that? I don't think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we can spend the rest of our lives in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 alone and work on that the rest of our lives before we get to any other issue. And so that's, that's, that's the way I've been leading this church for almost 20 years, and that's the way I intend to lead it the next 20 years. Now, this is where we're going to live, and, and that's where we're going to be. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to do these two things, and then I hope you'll join me in blocking ugliness. Blocking ugliness and posting beauty each day this week. So if it's ugly, you just block it. And hey, friends, if you've got a kid, if you've got a child under 18 that, that's having problems online, it's really simple. Stop the relationship, block that person, and tell their school administrator, parent, pastor. Right? Stop, block, and tell. It's a real thing. I had kids come up to me between services the last two weeks because of online junk that's going on in their life. And, and they need power to say, no, we're not going to do it, we're not going to block it, we're not going to engage, and I need some help. We need to do that for our kids. Right? And so what does it look like? Uh, well, I want to thank Cheryl McLean. She asked me a couple weeks ago to, to post something beautiful every day. I was happy to do it. And so wherever I go, wherever I travel, wherever, wherever I am, I try to find something beautiful that God has done, and I try to show a photo of it. So last year when I was uh, in New York with my family uh, on a trip for Noah and my parents, um, we came across these tulips just outside Central Park. I thought, well, that's beautiful. So I took a photo of it. Now, I know that doesn't occur naturally. Somebody spent a lot of time and energy planting, you know, a thousand tulips. But isn't that cool? If you hate tulips, don't tell me. Right? I don't care. I mean, this is about me, right? This is about my character and my trying to show beauty in the world. You do it the way you do it, whatever that is for you, right? Because it's about, that, what would it be like if every person associated with our church from now on only posted beautiful things? The emails we sent were encouraging. The conversations we had were meaningful and helpful and loving and in person when necessary. Wouldn't that change the world? I think it would. So I submit these things to you in Jesus' wonderful and blessed name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are with us, that you're guiding us, that you're protecting us, that you're showing grace to us. And we pray that you would help us to pick up the towel and pick up the basin and put down the judgment and the ego and the pride. And that we would live for you, not just this day, but every day. And that people would say, you know those Acts 2 people, there's something beautiful about them. There's something uplifting about them. There's something gracious and winsome about them. We, we just can't get them in a fight. We just, they just don't fight with us. They love us. They serve us. They show grace to us. They bless the world. And Lord, when we fail, we ask your forgiveness. And where we don't know where to turn, we thank you for teaching us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.